And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. It's Thursday, May 11th. Derek and Riper, Eno Saris, Bridge Rowley all here with you on this Thursday. On this episode, we... Discuss the milestone that Kenley Jansen just reached, 400 saves. Does that send Kenley Jansen to Cooperstown? We'll talk about Yuri Perez, the top pitching prospect coming up for the Marlins. Max Freed, a pretty big injury for a Braves team that looks really strong atop the NL East right now. And we'll talk about a case for some aggressive early buyers. The standings look a little strange for nearly mid-May, so we'll dig into a few teams that are exceeding expectations and discuss whether or not they should be aggressively trying to upgrade their clubs now as opposed to waiting until the middle of the summer. We begin today, though, with Kenley Jansen. 400 saves. Only three Hall of Fame pitchers have more. Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, and Lee Smith. And there are three other pitchers that have topped 400 that are not in the Hall of Fame. K-Rod, John Franco, and Billy Wagner. So I don't think 400 makes Kenley Jansen a lock necessarily. but we're probably not going to see a lot of other guys reach this milestone. Craig Kimbrell's three away from 400. I assume the Jose Alvarado injury opens the door for him to get there this season now because mixing and matching in Philadelphia, he'll probably find three in the next couple of months. And then we may not see 400 saves again for a long time, if ever, because among active players, Edwin Diaz only has 205. He, of course, is down with that knee injury this year. He's already 29 years old. Josh Hader's also 29. He's got 143, so he's a lot further away. And I think maybe the best case among young relievers would be someone like Emmanuel Classe, who's only 25 years old. He's only got 80 saves. So I know we don't want to build a Hall of Fame where we're taking a stat that has actually somewhat limited value and just packing guys in there because they did really well in that regard. But Kenley Jansen is one of the best closers we've ever seen, right? So... Britt, do you see a Hall of Fame resume when you look at Kenley Jansen? I think he has the potential to. I mean, what's really cool, guys, and I saw this was his first save. Hit the last pitch of that outing was 94 miles an hour last night. 99 in his 400th save. So you can make the case that there is still a lot of juice left in his career, maybe even in that arm, right? He's a guy who's been very outspoken about um, the things that he's done to get to this point, therapy being one of them. So I think that if you look at some of these guys who have Hall of Fame careers, obviously the talent is there, but the longevity is there, right? The opportunity to continue to build. And when you look at a guy like Kenley Jansen, it's not like he's hanging on for dear life. He's still being a productive player, again, pumping 99 to get that 400 save. So I think when all is said and done, he could be a guy that goes into the Hall of Fame. If he retired today, I think we'd have a little bit more of a debate, but he's obviously won at places that he's gone to. He's been consistent. 
And he's a guy who, you know, this doesn't matter so much in the Hall of Fame debate, but you hear about him as a teammate, as a leader. Things like this don't hurt, right? It didn't hurt David Ortiz that the media really liked him, that he was a really good guy. These things don't hurt your Hall of Fame candidacy. So I think Kenley Jansen is a guy who could be in the Hall of Fame. I think that as we sit here today, he's more of a fringe case, but I think that there's a lot more life left in that arm. And ultimately, if he has another couple productive seasons, I think that case becomes a lot, a lot better in terms of getting the percentage needed for Hall of Fame voters to get in. Yeah, the resume also includes uh, one World Series title, of course, in 2020 with the Dodgers and three All-Star games, which seems like half as many as I would have guessed for Kenley Jansen based on the career he's had. He's been he's been sneaky productive, I feel like. People don't give him the credit. But there's a little bit. So, you know, if you look at the saves leaderboard that there's like K-Rod and John Franco and, you know, and then Billy Wagner, who I think is 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 moving towards induction. Um, but. Uh, you know, when I voted, I voted for Billy Wagner and not for Francisco Rodriguez and John Franco. And uh, there's a couple things going on there. I don't think wins above replacement is a perfect stat. And it's not a perfect stat, especially for relievers. But uh, Billy Wagner had uh, about an eight win uh, gap between him and Franco and Rodriguez. And in fact, if you look, he had 24 wins uh, above replacement. And the other people that had 24, 25 and more are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Gossage had 30, uh, Eckersley had 60, you know, some of that was starting. Um, you know, there's uh, Trevor Hoffman had 26, Lee Smith had 27. So there is a little bit of a shelf there. But the other way that I see it is just continued dominance. And I know that ERA is another imperfect stat, but if you look at Francisco Rodriguez and John Franco and Kenley Jansen, the one thing they have different from Billy Wagner is Billy Wagner never had a bad season. You know, if you look at Billy Wagner, he did not have a season where he had an over three ERA in his entire career. The only time he did was the time he was hurt and only pitched half a season. And so if you look at Franco, Rodriguez had a a kind of a poor ending to his career where it was consistently over three. Uh, Franco had a couple, you know, I think he had three or four years uh, where he was over three ERA. Uh, no, actually, he was he was consistently over three also at the end. So the thing that would uh, separate uh, Kenley Jansen, who has so far in his career been over three, uh, three, four times, um, would be to tack on a couple years under three. Um, and that's what's so tough about doing being a reliever over and over again into your into your career is just as the velocity goes, as the stuff goes, how do you remain dominant? And so that's why I think Britt is right. The 99 means as much as anything else. Um, if he is really going to, you know, increase his his fastball and, you know, this is his best fastball of his career uh, in terms of, of average. If he does have that in him and he can have two, three more years of like a, 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 a two, a one ERA uh, he is going to get into that place where he has uh, over 24, 25 wins above replacement, has mostly stayed under three ERA for his life, and separate himself from Francisco Rodriguez and John Franco. So it, it you know, it sucks, but it kind of matters how the next few years go. Then and you yeah. know, otherwise, if he kind of stays like where he is, or he has a couple more years, like a four ERA, then he kind of goes in the John Franco Francisco Rodriguez bin. Uh, but if he tacks on a couple years with like a two, a two five, 
he's going to be more like Billy Wagner, who I think is on his way to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I think Wagner should get in. I, I think Wagner belongs in. I think Kenley Jansen belongs in as of right now. Hmm. I, I think he could actually hurt himself with a couple bad seasons potentially, because right now, if you make a leaderboard of those seven relievers that I mentioned, and you sort by almost anything, let's sort by K minus BB percentage. Kenley Jansen, better than anyone on this list, better than Billy Wagner, 29% strikeout minus walk rate for his right? career. Better than Mo by a lot. Mariano Rivera was great, but 17.4% K minus BB percentage. Whip, under one. Billy Wagner was an even one. Mo was an even one. Kenley Jansen was better than both of them. 0.94 whip for his career. They're all good at keeping the ball in the park. The part of keeping your job as a closer forever, not blowing saves. Not walking, not, not giving up homers, yeah. Highest strikeout rate of the bunch, an ERA that holds up, and a skills-independent ERA that's the best of the seven. Like By individual skills, Kenley Jansen is the best actual reliever of all of them. I realize the other part of someone like Rivera's career, aside from having more saves, the postseasons matter too. But also 12, 1,280 innings pitched too to 780 from Jansen. So he just impacted more innings. Yeah. Yeah. A ton yeah. more innings. Also, don't you guys think market matters when it comes to how we remember guys? Hmm. If Mario Rivera's whole career was with the Kansas City Royals, but he still had the postseason experience. Yeah. I don't know. He seems like the most dominant guy, but. Um, you know, I you know Trevor Hoffman is a six hundred. People like round numbers, I think. Yeah, true. Here's the thing, though, Der- Derek. I think you have a great point. But say now, Kenley Jansen has a couple more good years. Say he's at four fifty. Now he's got a real chance, right? Right. Say he gets four hundred fifty career saves. He's not going to get to five hundred. But four fifty is. Yeah, I think. I think there. people would look at the seven hundred eighty innings pitched, which is clearly the le- least of all these guys you're talking about, and kind of and wonder if he did, did enough impact in terms of volume. So what I think happens to certain positions is these these roles, they exist for a long window of time in baseball, and they go away. The closer is going away, right? Teams are, are playing more matchups. So yeah. evaluating these, these kind of specialists, because that's what a closer is, a closer is a specialist, it has to really be an apples-to-apples sort of comparison. And I think if you look, even the way relievers have been used during Kenley Jansen's time in the big leagues, which only partially overlaps Moe and Hoffman's time in the big leagues, it's changed. Relievers were asked to do more in the era that Rivera and Hoffman pitched, and that's not necessarily Kenley Jansen's fault. That's just a reflection of how the game has changed, how the mindset of managing a baseball roster has changed. So what's interesting to me is if, if if you think Jansen is in or is not in, like what's the next type of relief pitcher beyond this group that's going to get in? Yeah, how many more guys are going to get 900? How many more relievers are going to get 1,000 innings in the era of throw as hard as you can and uh, and we're going to use three guys in the ninth, you know? Right. Are they just going to be essentially the, the baseball cards that go in the bike spokes because they burn out so fast, they come and go, and no one has careers like this anymore? It's such a fascinating concept, though, and I don't think we've talked too much about like closers kind of going away, but it's true. And but is that a function of teams playing matchups, teams wanting to limit salaries because closers have been the big money makers, mm-hmm. right? So you can patch together these guys making less than signing a closer for 10, 12, 15 million a year. They don't traditionally age that well either because they're tied more to their fastball velo. So Right. Like does it's actually a fair question, right? Like, do we see another 
is he is he an ex, like an extinct animal here to some extent, right? Like, do we do we not see any more guys hit this? Is Emmanuel, yeah, Emmanuel Class A gonna get to four hundred saves when you know his his is his cutter gonna stay ninety nine forever or? You know, what happens when it's 96? Is it still as effective? The one thing that's kind of cool about Jansen is he's added pitches, you know? He's he's worked on pitch design. He's he's you know added velo and you know you know like you said he's been to he's done therapy and he this this offseason worked with a with an NBA trainer to reshape his body. So like he's done yeah. the kind of work that you hear starters doing. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you want to identify the next great closer, it, it's going to be somebody who ha- takes that attention to detail, starts and adds pitches just like a starter and uh, continues to, to, to try and reshape themselves as opposed to I think most I'm not saying that most relievers just grip it and rip it. But like, you know, they usually have two pitches uh, and they're usually tied to their mm-hmm. fastball velo and age according to that velo. Well, they're failed starters, so they almost always have that smaller repertoire right because they lots of times they were failed starters nobody starts their career as a reliever right well yeah very very rarely i mean usually guys are starters that project to be bullpen guys because they don't have the third pitch right it seems like to be a starter you need the minimum of that third pitch very rarely can guys get away with less than that so I don't know. It's a really interesting debate. Like what is happening to closers? Do teams even value that though? If you say to yourself, you got this young kid in high school or college wants to be the next Kenley Jansen. My question to you guys is, is that even possible in the game in five, 10 years? There's a, like another layer to it, which is should the hall of fame even value this position? I mean, the, a core layer to this is, should there be punters in the football hall of fame? Um, because in terms of impact on the game, even Mo is kind of a little bit short of the, the standard, uh, kind of impact on the game wins above replacement threshold. You kind of, you know, you kind of want to have 50 wins to, to kind of be in the meat of the hall of fame. And he was, he was at 39, even as the best closer of all time. And we started, uh, we started, you know, putting people in that had half of the, the sort of borderline with Trevor Hoffman. That's 25 wins. It's, that was, it's easily, uh, a group of, uh, of, of, it's a group of players that has the fewest, uh, wins above replacement in the hall. If you start talking about relievers, don't you both think that the hall is supposed to just tell the story of baseball? Mm-hmm. Basically, the entire story and history of the game is supposed to be preserved there, right? And I think you should prepare. You should compare yes. like to like. I mean, wins of a place is supposed to help us compare across positions, but at the same time, like if you just mm. tell a story, yeah, like you're right. Like if you tell a story and there are no relievers in that story, that's weird because they were there when we when we were watching. They were there. Yeah. They were the ones on the mound when many World Series games yeah, and right. World Series were decided. Yeah. yeah, those were the people we saw. At the same time, you really can't compare across generations because saves is a made up fairly recent stat. So is holds, right? Like these are all things that like you ask Jim Palmer about and, and nobody was talking about them, right? Because they, the need for that didn't exist. When did the save stat come into play? Fairly recently. 1959 by a journalist. Yeah, and it wasn't even used until 1969. Yeah, I was going to say, when was it actually used? When did you actually start hearing about it? Yeah. So that's like half of baseball never really, never, never really cared about saves. The baseball's been going on since the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just a question of what you want the Hall of Fame to be. But if relievers are in the Hall of Fame and we're using the relievers in there so far as our bar to measure Kenley Jansen against, I think Kenley Jansen deserves a vote 
and would actually get in, even if his career, if he said, I'm done, I'm good, 400 yeah. was my goal, I'm out. And that's obviously not the case. He's under contract yeah. for the year. Also, one other thing with Kenley Jansen, and we'll move on. He did a great job adapting for the pitch clock, at least so far. It's only the yes. early part of May. He was one of those guys. He was a slow reliever. And older relievers that have been sort of been pitching. that like We've been talking on, on Rates and Barrels yesterday about how older pitchers are struggling a little bit more to, to change their, their routines. Yeah, and they did it. Kenley Jansen said he didn't want to violate. Like he said this, he didn't want a violation all year, and he hasn't had one. And he didn't lose stuff yet. Like that's the other part of this, right? He's still the same guy he was pre-clock, which is really impressive for someone at that stage of their career to make that kind of adjustment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty-four-seven U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Moving on and going to a much younger part of the rundown, Yuri Perez is getting promoted by the Marlins. This could be the highest ceiling of any pitching prospect in baseball. And yes, I understand Yuri Perez is six foot eight and would <laughs> That's probably a good word is ceiling <laughs> in a home with high ceilings. <laughs> ceilings that he it's hits, a talent that he ceiling. hits. <laughs> off the charts high, skipping over AAA to debut. The debut is scheduled to come Friday in front of the home crowd in Miami. Just 20 years old, and he just turned 20 last month, so a very young starter. But this is a guy that has everything you could want in an arsenal. It's four pitches with command. It's going to be extension. It's going to be velocity and movement. We saw him very briefly in the Futures game last summer. It was one of the quickest outings because he just blew right through his one frame. I love this from the perspective of if young pitching is ready, Young pitching should be in the big leagues. The Marlins have a lot of young pitching beyond Yuri Perez. But if you think you have any chance of hanging around and being a wildcard team, and you have a guy like this in your system, he should be pitching for your big league club and not in the Southern League with a pre-tacked ball where the only thing that could really happen if he's ready for the big leagues is he could just get hurt in a game that doesn't matter. So I am all for this. Now, you know, we don't have pitching model numbers from AAA. But I think if we did, Yuri Perez would be pretty high up in that model, maybe even a model-breaking sort of pitcher. Well, one thing that the model really likes is uh, unique release points. And so you've got a pitcher here that is going to have a unique, uniquely tall release point, uh, and he's going to be throwing uh, what some places say is a plus changeup from that slot. So... I think that already is going to be pretty weird or or a, a plus curveball, you know, that, you know, seems like it is dropping from the sky uh, and ends up in the dirt. So, uh, yeah, that's part of, I think, why his strikeout rates have been so good. But it's it's funny, you know, you've got in the team context, um, 
you've got the the question of you know that gets thrown, turned on its head with like Mike Trout can he pitch uh, in in Anaheim the the question for any new Marlins pitcher is can he hit uh, because they keep turning out pretty good pitchers um, and uh, and have traded them for hitters. Uh, but they currently stand uh, as one of the worst, what, four or five teams in baseball when it comes to uh, actually hitting the ball. And so it's been, that's uh, more the side that they, that they're, they're hurting on. Maybe this will turn into creating another asset they can trade out of their rotation. You guys, this guy's just, just turned 20 a month ago. You guys realize that? Like we're talking about basically a guy who, was not like 19 a month ago, who's now pitching in the big leagues. I think it's great. I think what, you know, we talked about the closer and how the game is evolving. This doesn't happen five years ago. This might not happen three years ago. It seems like we are now seeing the de-emphasis on minor league starts and end minor league development, right? Teams, I think, feel by and large that when they get up to the big leagues, they can make them better. And often they have more tools at their disposal at the big league level to make those guys better than they ever did. So I think what you're seeing, you know, not just with a guy like Perez, but just in general, as baseball is getting younger and younger and younger, we're seeing like the angels called up a guy that they drafted like last year, didn't they? So I think what you're seeing, and this would have never happened 10 years ago where you guys had to get their minor league seasoning. I remember it was such a big thing. People would always talk about, um, yes, there were those rare guys who got fast tracked to like the Bryce Harper's of the world. But by and large, I think you're seeing this on like every team now because teams are realizing in this game today, if you're young and you're fast and you're athletic and they think you have the talent to hold your own, why waste a lot of that peak years, especially with the emphasis on, you know, base running and this being a fast game and all these new rules? Why waste those peak years in the minor leagues? Yeah, if the game is getting more athletic, then get more of their athletic peak years into the big leagues. Get these young guys up, right? Get these young guys up because the game is getting so fast and athletic that you don't want rookies that are 28, 29 years old, which used to be a lot more of the norm. If you notice, the game is getting so much younger. And I think a lot of that is the way teams approach development is different. Guys are skipping AAA. Guys are barely at AA. I mean, we have just seen this time and time again. And for Perez, he's the... I think there's three other pitchers this century that were younger than him. Julio Urias, Edwin Jackson. There's one more. I think it might be Felix Hernandez that were younger than he is to debut, just to give you an idea of how rare this is. So I'm excited to watch him pitch. I hope he continues to be a guy that every five days you're like, got to watch the Marlins because I want to see this guy pitch. I don't think he's going to impact their season in a tangible way. Cause like, you know, said he only pitches every five days and they, they, they have to figure out the offense. They also happen to be in the NL East. If the Mar- Let me ask you guys a serious question. If the Marlins are in the AL Central or the NL Central, do they have a path to compete this year? It's easier for sure than <laughs> yeah, like- NL East is. So, yeah, definitely. But I guess I look at them and I say they could still compete even having to deal with the rest of the NL East because they have, with this potential trio, with Sandy Alcantara, Yuri Perez and Jesus Lazardo, that top three is about as good as any top three you're going to find. That top three mm-hmm. can go out and shut down top end lineups for you. You can win close, low scoring games. I like this from the other perspective of maybe this is a sign the Marlins are going to push chips in. As Eno has said, they have other pitching. You know, Max Meyer's coming off an injury. Jack Eater's coming off an injury. 
they, they've got Dax Fulton in their system. They've got other pitching prospects. Plus, there are big league ready guys like Braxton Garrett. Once everyone's healthy, might just be an extra pitcher. He would start on a lot of teams. So they could take some of this pitching depth and potentially go to a team that has an excess of position players and make another swap. They've done this before. They did to get Jazz Chisholm from the Diamondbacks by flipping Zach Gallen. They're probably going to do it again. They would fit. The Marlins would fit into my category of teams that I think should act sooner rather than later. I think there's a benefit that we see more in fantasy baseball than in real baseball as far as the aggressiveness, where you get players for longer by trading for them now instead of waiting until July. Now, you have to have a willing team sending players back, of course, to make a deal. Right. Who wants to sell at this point in the season is a, yeah, the other part of the Yeah, that's the problem. That's why it doesn't happen. It it doesn't happen. It's the shape of the trade, though. It's more win-win. It's not a team selling off because they're giving up. It's a team that has the opposite problem that you It'll have. It'll have to be player, a team that has hitting because most teams want pitching and you know that, that the Marlins do have that. And the nice thing is if you look at their depth charts and you look at where their problems are, their problems are in places where another team could say, well, we have either I have access or that's easy to patch up. So the Marlins' worst position players, uh, position player spots, according to the rest of season projections, are first base, left field, right field. So, you know, they're not necessarily, yes, I think that long term they need a shortstop. But uh, if they're not asking for a shortstop right now and they're comfortable with just figuring out shortstop in the short term and they go out and get just a left fielder, a right fielder, a first baseman, they can make a real impact on their rest of season projections. Um, and they can do it at positions that aren't necessarily expensive on the open market. I think you're right, Derek. I think that problem is teams don't want to have these conversations a month into the season, five weeks into the season. Teams are still evaluating guys. There's, they're, you're really hesitant to say, let's trade this and this and this because these guys aren't performing well when the sample size is still under 25% of the season. Right. I agree with that, but I think if you patch together the projections looking forward, teams have their own internal projections. You take what we've got in the bank so far through 35 games, and you even pull back and include some of, of last year if your roster hasn't changed that much. If you had some of these problems a year ago, this isn't new if you're the Marlins, right? You're not, you're not overreacting to a roster you reassembled, not doing what it's supposed to do. You're still kind of building the longer-term team that you want to have in place. So I think it's more appropriate in this situation to react quickly than it would be. I think the Cardinals would be overreacting to do certain things, right? But like they the maybe did that with Wilson Cardinals Contreras. and Marlins yeah. right now match up pretty well. <laughs> they line yeah. up well. The Orioles line up well with the Marlins. I think I've brought them up before as a team that they got so many near big league ready position players. They can't fit all those guys under their big league roster. More pitching in Baltimore. That could work. Maybe there's a big trade. Mateo. That's easy to say at home when you're not involved with the team, but organizationally, Michael, I said yesterday, most of the improvements are coming from within. If you're the Marlins you and you want to make a deal, it would be almost foolish to make a deal in early May because by July, the number of teams that are interested could have doubled. Mm. There's a reason why these, these deals don't happen early on. Brian Cashman said the other day something to the effect of like, no one is having trade discussions right now. It's just not the ebb and flow of the season. Mm. So why it may make sense in fantasy baseball or it may make sense as a fan to say, well, why don't they go do something now? Why would Kim Ng make a deal now when she could have four or five interested teams in their starting pitching and use that to get an even better deal 
around the trade deadline when teams are desperate. There are teams that are going to be desperate. The Mets underperforming. The Cardinals underperforming. The Yankees underperforming. Like By the time you get to July, you can sense blood in the water from a lot of these clubs. They have to make a move. Mm. So here's the thing. Here's, here's my belief as someone who's never spoken to a GM before. I think GMs lie a lot. I think GMs say things to people in the media to appease them, to get the quotes they need to go write the stories they have to write. I yes. think they tend to lie about what they're really trying to do and what they're really concerned about, right? They don't want people to know the internal concerns of a major league club are not made public. If Yankees fans knew what Brian Cashman and the rest of the Yankees front office were actually concerned about, they would have an absolute shit fit, about it, right? <laughs> so they have a shit fit anyway, but it'd be worse if they knew the truth in the eyes of the people who make these decisions and choose to speak the way they do. How honest do you think front office people are with reporters on a scale of one to 10? Well, what's the one and what's the 10? Oh, one being they rarely, if ever, tell the truth and 10 being they are honest all the time. One. A one. Yeah, exactly. So they're um, a one. So does anything they actually say especially this time of year, mean anything? No, but I think you also have to look from a historical point of view and say how many big trades were consummated in May. Mm. How many teams were like, you know what? Let's let's just rip up what we went to, what we broke camp with five weeks ago and go with this new plan instead. I think the problem we're getting into, and I think a lot of this is social media driven and like, you know, we have a weekly podcast. We have to analyze what's going on. Baseball is not football. You have to get past that Memorial Day mark you have to get into June. What if the Marlins lose 20 of their next 21 games? Do they still need to upgrade their offense? Or yes. should they wait till the trade deadline and say, you know what? We can get a lot more for these young pitchers. What if the Orioles lose 20 of their next 21 games? Like, I, I think I agree with what you're saying. I don't think the GMs tell the truth a lot. But I also think with baseball, a lot of these, there's a reason there's a trade deadline. And there's a reason it's the end of July. Because front offices have to figure out what they have and what they want. And in a case like Miami, if they're not the Mets, if there's some team that's going to make a move because they're panicked, it should be the New York Mets. Verlander's hurt again. I mean, Scherzer's hurt again. They, they've really struggled to, to win at all. They're under 500. That's a team that I could see Steve Cohen saying, make a move now. I don't care. But when you look historically at what the Marlins have done, yeah, there might be a small move or a claiming guy off of waivers, but you just don't see these moves to upgrade the team happen on May 11th because they're letting the season play out. It can happen, though. It doesn't happen often. It should happen more. This is my argument. Two years ago, May 21st, 2021, an example. Willie Adames traded to the Brewers by the Tampa Bay Rays, right? They were opening up space for Wander. Yeah. And it seemed like a pretty minor trade. J.P. Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen go back the other way. But Fireisen was, both of them were immediately in their bullpen where they needed help. And then the idea right. was long-term, I think, that Rasmussen would become a starter. Neither yeah. of those teams was saying... Our team sucks. It was, we can both get better if we make a deal. So I think it's a different kind of trade that can happen this time of year. Or with a race saying, we need to call up the best player in baseball. And so now we can, we, this guy is disposable. You could, you could come up with an idea like this with Baltimore, I think. Uh, Baltimore is projected to have one of the worst uh, starting pitches, uh, starting pitching situations. And, you know, projections are... Not great for pitchers, but it's a bottom five situation for the Orioles right now. And I like Grayson Rodriguez. And I like some of the young pitching. So I, I'm not sure that's correct. But let's say it's a little bit like the Rays where they say, we've got Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz at in the middle infield and shortstop position. And uh, maybe Mateo is at his peak value. 
Like, could there be an idea of like, let's trade Jorge Mateo to open up space for Westberg, uh, who we think is just as good, and maybe get a really good starting pitcher for Jorge Mateo? I mean, there's there's maybe. a little bit of a corollary there. But right now, Urias is on the IL, so you kind of have to wait because you're a little down on infielders. Mm-hmm. I think the other part of this that is unique to the Marlins position, though, if you're a team that has pitching at any given time, the longer you wait, the more you're playing with fire. The more likely someone's going to get hurt. That's what the Rays do. They just trade them before they get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who even trades with them anymore? Why? So there are a bunch of teams that need pitching all the time, and you've got yeah. pitching in spades. Why would you wait two months for that pitching to potentially get hurt, deplete your own supply because guys break or at all different levels? that pitching does better and some other team gets hurt somewhere else. This is why guys hold out for contracts, right? Sometimes in spring training. Couple more, couple, couple injuries to the Mets rotation. More injuries. The argument I would have for the Mets is that they're actually kind of on the opposite side of this. They're a mess. The Mets. I'm going to talk to Will Salmon on the Friday show in more detail about them. But my argument with the Mets is, if the Mets want to be like the Dodgers, and that's effectively what Steve Cohen said when he bought them, they're going to make a, a great baseball organization, top to bottom. That takes time, and people are very impatient. As you just said earlier, Britt, we want everything now, now, now. We want to react every week. We want every game to matter, every move to matter, every single thing that every team does. We want it all to count the same way that every football game counts every Sunday. And it just doesn't. We have to accept that. And I think people with the Mets are ridiculously impatient right now. They've barely had Verlander healthy. Yes, Scherzer is banged up right now. They did bring up the two young position players we wanted to see. Both Beatty and Francisco Alvarez have been up. Beatty's playing really well. Alvarez maybe going back down. But if you're a team like the Mets, you don't have the same sort of urgency. Your window is going to be open for a lot longer. When the window opens for the Marlins, it tends to open and then close very quickly. So I think if you're in a position with a team like that, and it's not just Miami, but it's a lot of the smaller teams that choose to spend less money. When your pitching is healthy... When your team is good and when you see that projection get to the level where you can make it to the postseason, foot has to go on the gas. And it doesn't matter if it's mid-May or June or what month it is, you go and you try to win. And I think this is a great time for them to do that. And I hope this is the, the beginning of that. I really do. That, you know, if you don't have those resources to go toe-to-toe with the other teams in free agency, you're more dependent on your own players and developing your own players. So why give up an asset and you know that could be there for you when you don't have the fallback of, well, we'll just sign three of the best free agents that are out there, right? Because you're not going for rentals. You're never going for rentals if you're Miami. You're never no. trading for players who are going to be gone. If you do trade something from those minor league, th- those prospects or, or team with players with team control, you just want team control back too. You can't just... That's why I like the, the, the Mateo. That's why I'm putting Mateo on the table is because uh, he's a pretty good player. He's playing at the top of his... Uh, thing and he's also uh, under team control till 2026. So, you know, there's there is some like maybe we could give you team control for team control on the pitching side. The other thing, Derek, is I think is if the window is now Miami's 19 and 19. So you better be damn sure that the window has opened mm-hmm, now. Right. What if it was just a lucky week or something? <laughs> Correct. And not, oh, we had a couple good weeks pieced together. Look at the Pirates. They have free fall since they played Tampa, right? They got crushed by the Rockies. They've lost, what, eight of nine, something like that, seven of eight. Um, so you better be damn sure the window is open before you start trading away your pitching prospects. And also, you never feel like you have enough pitching. All it takes is 
Luzardo to get hurt or, you know, one or two of those other guys to end up on the IL for most of the season for the season to just go completely off the train tracks. And oops, you dealt away the guys who were the next wave. There goes that. That's how you end up in this state of permanent rebuild. Do you think the Pirates should be making a move, Derek? Nope. 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 Hundred percent no. Hundred percent. But, but they no seem to be right in the wheelhouse. Of what you're talking about? Yeah, they do. Their window's not open yet. Who says their window isn't open yet? They're in a bed. They have a better winning percentage than the Marlins. I they're think one really and nine in their May. last ten. They are. They're so That's here's here's is. why they're okay. not. It's, if you look forward at the projections, but if you look at the way these two teams are built, I think if you have a big three in your rotation, and I'm counting Perez, I'm maybe I'm premature on this. Maybe I'm pushing him too far. Even if you just want to say it's he hasn't the top even two. started yet, you're yeah. counting him as a big yeah. three. You open the window now, it's a three-year window. The Pirates don't have three starters atop their rotation like that. They don't even have one starter as good as anyone in the Marlins rotation, right? And I think a lot of the game today is built on healthy, dominant pitching. When you have healthy, dominant pitching, that's when you go. Because it might not be healthy. It might not be healthy six months Mm. from now or two months from now. So you have to take advantage of it when you have it. That's what I think the game has become. It's the downside of pitchers breaking all the time is that it forces more immediate action. When your guys are healthy. Right. And I think that's a huge difference for me between the Pirates and the Marlins. Can the Pirates make small moves to get better? Sure. I just don't think the Pirates should be taking a key long-term piece and shifting right now. I don't think that's the move for them. I do think including Perez before he started the big league game. <laughs> it might knowing, be premature. <laughs> it might be premature. And also, Derek, these guys are so young. What are the innings limits? You're going to push all your chips in. What if they stumble to the postseason? Oops. Perez is capped at 150 innings this year. Oops, we don't have our starters in the playoffs. Like, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of things you have to consider when you're relying on young pitching. To get there, they're going to need more offense, and they're not going to trade any of those three guys to get there. And they're going to have the guys they get back beyond this season. So even if any of the three guys have innings issues because of injury or self-imposed workload restrictions by the organization, they're still getting a lot better in the long run. So I just I don't know if I can I don't know if now. I can give you the Marlins. What what team that I think does actually sort of fit the description you're making, um, and maybe I could get behind more is the Mariners. Um, the Mariners have sort of come together. They've got these three young guys. Uh, Bryce Miller's actually made a couple starts in the big leagues at least. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we've got we've yes. got a little bit of a trio: Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby. Yeah, uh, seem to be pitching really well. They're projected pretty well. Like they're projected sort of top ten ish for the Mariners. So they're projected to be a contender. They're hanging around, um, and they're right at five hundred. But the lineup seems to need help. Um, and again, it's a place where the lineup could maybe be improved in places that aren't necessarily shortstop or center field, you know, uh, or catcher. So if they can improve a lineup in a corner outfield or something like that, uh, a lineup spot, then I think they should maybe be aggressive. And, and, and they have the guy to be aggressive in, in, in their GM spot. <laughs> they have the correct GM. Yes, they have the GM that will make moves. I mean, the case for me for the aggressive early buyers, the Orioles have the second best record in baseball right now. For all the hype and excitement yeah. around the Rays, I don't think people understand how good the Orioles are. I completely underestimated the group of prospects behind Grayson Rodriguez and Gunnar Henderson, that next depth group that all collectively had just a great year last year. They're all knocking on the door, being big league ready. The AL East is so tough. That's a unique problem. That division is nasty. It's as you want to be good now, but if you sacrifice it, then you can be at the bottom for a couple of years and even yeah. being at 500. 
I like the Orioles case to be aggressive. Yeah, I, I like that more than you're selling me on the Marlins. I just think they're the inverse of the Marlins because it's more position players than pitchers. I think they've got a better overall group of talent than the Marlins. So I think they're just in a better position if they do nothing than if the Marlins do nothing. So that's that's part of it. But it's also a tougher road to the postseason based yeah. on where they are in that division. What about the Tigers, Britt? I've been naysaying the Tigers at every opportunity. They're only two and a half games back in the AL Central. I mean, if they were going to do anything, I feel like they should do it now. But truthfully, I just don't see this lasting. I see this being a little yeah. bit like the Pirates where it's kind of like you got this longer term plan. You got a new GM. Wait it out, right? If you have a little more success this year than expected, that's a good thing. It's a step in the right direction. But you're still thinking about the core and looking more to move veterans to other clubs as opposed to trying to make splashy moves now in hopes of you know, sneaking into the AL Central race throughout the season. Yeah, correct. I am with you on that. I think like I was just doing the kind of the roller coaster because I think there's going to be weeks where the Tigers look really good. And then there's going to be weeks where they look exactly like we thought, like they look like a mess. Right. So I wouldn't make a move. I would continue to kind of build. And I think that front office, the way it's set up with Scott Harris, isn't going to say, hey, we have a record that's better than we thought. Let's <laughs> let's push our chips in, right? I see them as more like the Orioles of a year or two ago. Like, yay, we did well, but we don't really believe this is anything more than a mirage. They'll still trade away. <laughs> yeah, I think they're still two years away from even being serious contenders of any Correct. kind. Like, they're more likely to trade Eduardo Rodriguez this summer than to add anything. I think they should. I think they need to offload him. I think Javi Baez, they'd be better served seeing if they had a partner I there. I have no idea how Eduardo Rodriguez is pitching this well. There's almost <laughs> nothing different from anything he's doing in the past. Like None of his pitches are moving differently. His pitch mix is not really that different. He has like There's like a half inch of extra ride on the fastball. I'm not willing to say he got a half inch of ride on the fastball and now he's good. So yeah, I, I would unload him. And, and, and I don't even actually know how this team is so close to 500 because their top five hitters uh, by plate appearances are all worse than league average with the bat. And three yeah. of their top four uh, pitchers by by innings pitched or have an ERA over five. So I don't actually get it. <laughs> I think it's very pirish. I think it's very much like the start the Pirates had where you're looking pirish. at it. Like, shouldn't be up no, here. No, the here. Pirates at least are building are like further along in their build, I think. They're further along in their build. But I'm saying in terms of how much over their actual projection they are right now, even though the Tigers projection is probably lower than the Pirates projection going into the season, they're like equally above where they're supposed to be right now. The Tigers are flirting with 500. They shouldn't be. The Pirates are above 500. They should be closer to 500, right? Like it's, it's that sort of that sort of adjustment. With Erod, he has an opt-out after 2023. So if he pitches really well all year, he could oh, actually test free agency. And that might be tough to actually trade him. That's so a little bit why Carlos Rodon... But it's also tough to trade him in that situation because the team acquiring him doesn't know what they've got and everyone likes certainty. It's a little bit why I think Carlos Rodon was not traded from the Giants last year. Although you could just sell him as a rental and just be like, I'm selling him as a rental. You know, give me what you got. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention 
attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get Direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream Direct TV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Two more teams, though, that we should get to as part of this because of pitching injuries. The Braves are going to be without Max Freed for probably two months. The Astros just lost Luis Garcia for the season. Jose Urquidy's hurt as well. So is there a clear enough need for pitching in Houston or Atlanta where they could be among the teams looking to get immediate help from a team like the Marlins or elsewhere, if there's any other team out there willing to trade pitching because they're not playing for this year or because they think they've got enough young pitching or whatever it might be, do you see either of those teams going outside the organization? Both have generally had good organizational depth, but I think both are really going to be tested in light of these recent injuries. I hope the Marlins make a move just so Derek can take a victory <laughs> lap here on this show. I need it so bad. I God, I need the Marlins to make a move. I would say if, oh, if one of these two teams made a uh, made an aggressive move like this, it would be the Braves. I think their uh, general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, has been aggressive with trades in the past. He's managed to restock the coffers even as he trades away. I think he's been pretty good at deciding who to trade away and who to keep. Um, and so, yeah. you know, if I was like, if I was trying to put my shoes, my my feet in his shoes, I would. I, I'm not that big a fan of Jared Schuster or Dylan Dodd. Um, or maybe even Bryce Elder, I, I, like if I could combine two of those three into a, a pitcher that could pitch right now for my team and be better than those guys and maybe be on my team for a year or two, um, I might do that. Uh, the Astros, it's it's interesting. I don't know if this ever uh, is explicit, explicitly said in like a in a front office situation, but if I was there, I think I might ride the halo a little bit longer. The, the you know, we just won, you know, halo. The kind of like, let's, uh, let's try to be good. But like, you know, let's not, <laughs> let's not do anything crazy here. Like, you know, we just won last year. If we get back to the playoffs and don't win, like nobody's going to get off the roller coaster with us. You know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to be fine. No one's going to fire us. I mean, even though they did fire their GM, basically. I was going to say, yeah, like they are. They are dealing with a first-year GM who I think doesn't want to be the one that says, hey, the, the roller coaster stops oh, that's here. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so there is a little bit of that in play. But aren't they getting Altuve back in June, right, which should really just- That's our trade deadline acquisition. <laughs> yeah, you forgot the Pirates are getting O'Neill Cruz in August. Right. There's their big trade deadline acquisition. Altuve, 
on the field and off the field, I think is going to prop that team up. If it is June, I don't think I've seen any setbacks. No, he's actually, he's actually, uh, he's swinging. So could be soon, but you know, what's weird guys is that, um, the Astros have been, I think, a disappointing team. I didn't see them kind of struggling like this. Uh, but no one's talking about the inverse, which is that the Texas Rangers are playing really well, right? Uh, which is kind of how we view, like, the lens, right? Like, nobody wants to talk about that, which I think kind of deserves a little bit more of a discussion. But um, if I'm Houston, you're right. I'm probably waiting until July. I'm not following uh, DVR's early action plan here. You got to go. Back. I'm Look, I would love to see DVR as a GM in the war room. Like it's May 11th and he's like, go, you know what? Our go, windows now. Go. Get me a this trade now. Get out there. I mean. He's, he's Jerry DePoto. I'm Jerry DePoto with more Costco snacks and coffee than you could possibly <laughs> imagine at my disposal. Like the amount of carbs and caffeine being consumed in my imaginary front office is off the charts. It is frighteningly high, but we're going to make moves. We're not going to sit here and, and just let the world pass us by. I think that, that with Texas, it's just like the sort of culmination of their moves has just finally kind of come together. And in some ways, they've, they've done a really good job like adding. And we, we tend to fascinate ourselves with the the biggest that, oh, they spent a half billion or, you know, whatever in, a, in one offseason. Um, that is true. But in that same offseason, they signed John Gray, you know. And in this offseason, yeah, they spent $180 million on Jacob deGrom, but they also signed Nate Ivaldi. And as much as deGrom has been great when he's been in, Ivaldi and John Gray are the kind of meat and potatoes uh, that are making that staff work. So, you know, their their hitting has has come to light with, has come together with all their guys uh, that they did acquire. And, you know, they have nine regulars that are above uh, league average with a stick. Um, and, uh, you know, now they've actually got some pitching to go along with it. So I, I don't know. It, it should have, it should have been less surprising. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like they, they did, yes. they did sort of start to patch all the holes with the signings. They were, it wasn't just all bats. They signed arms. They, they, they did their work, you know? There's a lot going right for them right now. I mean, as a, as a team, the Rangers are top 10, both in pitching war and in position player war. Mm -hmm. They're actually second behind only the Rays in position player war so far this season, which is a really pleasant surprise. Who's doing it? Marcus Simeon, the big signing that was kind of like the second big signing because they also signed Corey Seager. Seager's been hurt. Yeah, they don't even have so Corey Seager. So aside from missing Corey Seager, yeah. they're, playing, they're playing a backup shortstop. Marcus Simeon's been fantastic. People don't talk about that. Jonah Heim is having a really good season. Sean Murphy's doing a ton of awesome things for the Braves in his first year in Atlanta. Jonah Himes having a similar sort of step forward, except we've seen it from Sean Murphy before. This is a new level from Jonah Heim, who's always been a good defensive catcher. He's a pull everything. He's a pull everything guy that I had highlighted as as a person that might really benefit from the new rules. And uh, you know, he is getting luckier than he should be with a three fifty four Babbitt batting average on balls in play. But uh, some part of it is his approach meshing with how he can be defended now. It's just such a strange thing when you look up and down this roster. It's, it's a little bit of everything. It's free agent signings. It's some player development. It's trades. Nathaniel Lowe's been really good. Adelise Garcia, sticking with him, giving him all that extra playing time for the last couple of years, seems to be paying off. He's better than expected. Josh Young is finally healthy, and he's hitting for power right away. And I think eventually he's going to bring the K rate down, too. So I think it's kind of easy to talk yourself into this position player group being significantly improved, buying them as a top six, top eight group of position players going forward, especially when you put Seager back into this lineup. 
I think my question is, if DeGrom's back in two or three weeks and mostly healthy for the rest of the season, those are huge ifs, how much do we trust the rest of the pitching staff? I think John Gray is good. I'm with you there. Yeah. Nathan Evaldi's fine. The bullpen needs a little bit of reinforcement. Fine. That's most teams. That's, I, I think the bullpen is the place that I have, I'm have. i most fixated. And and it costs the least to upgrade. I mean, there's always relievers changing hands uh, during the season. And I think that I think they should, they're prime for a trade deadline acquisition in the bullpen. Yeah. And that's yeah. If, of all the things you could need, that's not a problem. Every contending team every year. I mean, year they don't need an ace if he's healthy, bullpen. right? They don't need a number two or right. number three if he's healthy. So basically at the trade deadline, they'd be looking for like a number four or five, maybe just to patch over some holes to get to the postseason and maybe a closer, you know, and there's There should be yeah, somebody on an expiring deal team. or, you know, you know, a, t- a struggling team that has a really good closer. Do you think it's weird that, that they fired John Daniels last August? And now they're good. He help build this. <laughs> and now they're really good. That's the problem, though, is like. Uh, that's the problem with these front offices is like you, we always want to give credit to the one who's there, but very often it's also the predecessor who drafted who all these guys, the yeah, and developed them, and then got fired before they got to the big leagues. And not that they haven't done a good job with the current front office. Listen, I think adding Bruce Boshi in the dugout is a is a real win, hmm. right? Like that's that's also something that's not talked about as much. But I mean, do I think that? John Daniels has imprints all over. It's like, of course he does. So, yeah, I mean, that's always kind of an unfortunate part, right? Is, you know, what you inherit kind of, it kind of matters, right? I I had this chat um, with Alex Anthopoulos at opening day weekend uh, because somebody said to me, hey, did anybody inherit a better organization than Alex Anthopoulos? And the answer is, I don't know, because he did. That's a really, a really sticky, sticky little gross situation exactly. there. We don't, how, nobody wants to give, who was there before Alex Anthopoulos? <laughs> right. Who was it? But think Had a about really good, it. Uh, did he cheat his way to having a really good, you know, collection of prospects? Probably. Well, isn't that like Dana Brown, what he inherited? Like, not that James Click. Yeah, James Click inherited that first. Right. So, yeah. Also, yeah. Um, it's really uncomfortable like giving people credit is is a really weird thing and then and then just the fact that you know I think it's really important like when you're trying to evaluate internally how good your player development is it's really hard because it's like you know if you do the standard like okay we drafted these guys and they're a bust well you can only know they're a bust or they did well or didn't do well like five six years later so okay so five years ago our player development was bad (laughs) what is it now (laughs) <laughs> right well that's the problem that you run into then you have to tear everything down like you look at the kansas city royals right and what kind of the struggles that they've had in developing pitching and if you do yeah, if you don't act fast enough then i think you'd turn to the royals and in in fact the cardinals i think probably by internal valuations or just by you know sniff test were like hey we're doing really great you know, the Cardinals, we're doing really great. Let's all pat each other on the back. Our The Cardinals way. Let's have another book about the Cardinals way. And then they just ran into a buzzsaw this year where they're like, uh, I'm not sure that our, our you know, maybe it's not going so well. You know, like maybe we should, yeah. maybe we should relook at this. And then you have to turn this whole tanker around, you know, because it's the Cardinals way. Well, uh, well, actually, don't, I'm not sure we want to pitch to contact anymore, guys. Whoa, like hard turn, turn, turn. Yeah. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? I mean, that was an easy one. <laughs> Let us know. So we have to go. Uh, let us know if you buy the Rangers as a 2023 playoff team. Just let us know on Twitter. Comment underneath this yeah. episode. You can find us on Twitter. 
Britt is at Britt underscore Giroli. Eno's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month at theathletic.com slash baseball show. So be sure to sign up for that if you haven't done so already. That's going to do it for this episode of The 3-0 Show. We are back with you on Friday. You've always got the green light here. 